0: Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. My name is Dr. Michael Corrin, and I'm delighted to be part of another episode of MedEvidence with my colleague, Dr. Dennis Leahy, who's talking about his own experience with lipoprotein little a. And this is a lipid particle that we call the really, 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 really bad cholesterol because people that have this particle tend to uh, have serious complications, and these complications tend to run in families. And so uh, Dr. Leahy, Leahy and I were just discussing this, and he was telling us this fascinating history of a very strong family history of of Premature cardiovascular disease, going back to when he was 10 years old and a relative had some carotid surgery. And then he personally learned that he had the same genetic marker. He did not have coronary calcium, but maybe that was um, a false indicator of what his true risk is. So, so Dennis, um, is that a reasonable summary of what we talked about in the first session? I think so. Okay. So, okay, so get back to your story a little bit more. And so you learned that you didn't have any coronary calcium. But you had a high LPA level. And just for the audience, LPA is measured in different ways. In fact, there's kind of a debate of the best way to measure it. But the, the two major ways of measuring it are either by mass. And the typical measurement there is milligrams per deciliter or by concentration. And then the typical measurement would be nanomoles per liter. And they are related to each other. But because L, uh, because lipoprotein little a is a heterogeneous molecule more and more of us think that the concentration is a better way to describe it because each particle can actually have a different mass, and it's hard to know your risk based on, quote, the size of your particles. So just looking at the overall concentration of particles is probably the way most of us are going in the lipid field. But for those of you out there that may be wondering what we're saying, a a typical normal level of LPA, meaning that you're not at high risk, using the milligrams per deciliter is typically thought of as 30 milligrams per deciliter or below. And when you get up to about 100 milligrams per deciliter, then we're talking about some serious issues. Similarly, for the the concentration measurement in nanomoles, that would typically be something less than 75 is considered low risk. And then when you get up in that 150-200 range, we're talking about something that's of great concern. So yeah, just to clarify that for the audience, and, and Dennis, why don't you jump in and, and keep on telling us this fascinating story?
1: Yeah. So again, I think we left off in uh, 2002, at which time there was uh, very little clarity about LP little a's role. And and actually, it, there were there were very inconsistent ways of measuring it. But um, from that point, uh, I felt, well, a negative calcium scan was going to be real positive. And I uh, I think I went on a low-dose statin just because I did want to get my LDL down below 100 um, but you know, felt pretty good about things. Um, and did the statin change your LPA? I didn't all? really repeat it. Um, but that, okay. that's a whole other discussion. As you know, the relationship between statins and LPA is a, is a complex one. Um,
0: yeah, the general, the general point of view being that statins do very little or nothing for LPA or, in, or increase it go ahead. in yeah. some cases. Yeah. Could potentially. Um, yes. So
1: anyway, um, I was uh, doing my usual thing and then, um, a uh, very uh, important moment in my life was uh, New Year's morning on uh, 2007. So this is about four years after I had my, my uh, negative calcium scan. I was surfing. Uh, it was a cold, windy morning for San Diego and uh, kind of an arduous paddle out. And I had my first episode of chest pain when I was paddling out. Um, and I knew exactly what it was, uh, having been mm. uh, in this position with uh, thousands of patients over the years um kind of backed off and uh and got into the beach the the pain was gone but i was quite certain uh i was just i was now living out my my legacy here as a leahy. um and indeed so then i i did get a cardiac workup uh and uh had some stents placed shortly thereafter um what was your anatomy uh, described for? So well yeah, it was um... mostly two vessel disease. My right coronary looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. I had um, mm-hmm. LAD disease that was fairly significant and circumflex disease that was moderate. Um, so the
0: so so for the for non cardiologists out there, you you have three major coronary arteries, and if um, uh, and you have a left main coronary artery which which bifurcates by and large into an LAD, left anterior descending, and a circumflex system. And depending on the location of blockages and the extent of atherosclerosis, we make decisions about intervention and prognosis, et cetera. So uh, uh, de- in Dennis' case, he had two vessels that were blocked in disease that I, I assume were treated with they stents. They were.
1: And um, so is uh, th- when the story gets even more interesting, uh, particularly for me as an interventional cardiologist. I'd placed thousands of stents at this point. Uh, three months after mm-hmm. my stent procedure, I was surfing same beach. Same situation, had chest pain again. Uh, record
0: was that your is that is that standard cardiac rehab in San Diego yeah, is surfing. It for me. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, and so, sure enough, uh, I had restenosis in in one of the stents. Mm. Um, the other one didn't look too bad at that time, and we decided to stent within the stent with a different uh, a different coating. With these were drug eluting stents. Um, so, so just
0: again for clarification for for the the lay folks out there, not the lay he's, the lay folks. (laughs) But um, uh, when you have restenosis, what's happening is that there is a biological phenomenon where the stent, which is uh, usually a little piece of plastic that gets expanded in the artery, becomes blocked up. Uh, Typically through this proliferative process uh, that we now control better with certain types of stents and with using certain drugs after stents are placed. But one of the questions is if you have this milieu of LP little A are you more prone to have this phenomenon where your stents actually get clogged up very quickly after the initial procedure
1: well uh, you might guess where the story goes from here uh 3 months 3 Among months others. later <laughs> surfing chest pain again and at this point oh really um not only uh, was there some stent restenosis there was progression disease uh you know uh, on either end of the stents really? and and actually kind of encroaching the left main. Um,
0: now, were you, were you on high doses of statins yeah, at this I was this on a high doses of statins
1: a, and, you know, dual mm, antiplatelet therapy. Anti-platelet and,
0: um, okay. so that would be just for the audience again, that would probably be aspirin and Plavix right. or Clopidogrel. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, so now this is really getting concerning to me. I really felt, I mean, it was, there's objective black and white evidence on the angiogram that, that, that this process is really kind of taking off and, uh, my own suspicions were that the stents were really, you know, nitus for an inflammatory response. And my LP little a level was really, uh, really making me extremely vulnerable to that. Um, I had one more go around with stents. Three months later, surfing, chest pain again. And uh, uh, so at this point, I had a fair amount of metal in my arteries. And actually, there was a little progression disease in my right coronary, which was pretty much clean a year before. And so uh I remember having that angiogram and uh, going over it with my interventionists and uh I said well it is time to go to surgery for sure. Yeah, I, I was going to be handcuffing my surgeons if I put any more stents in and um fortunately had a very good friend who is a extremely uh, uh good and creative surgeon. And uh so I had a six vessel bypass in 2000 yeah oh, wow. in 2008. Mm. Um that went well. Um, he actually used uh, mammary graft, from the left mammary for my LID, and did some really crafty um, free grafting using my right mammary, and I had one vein graft placed.
0: Um, so again, for the audience, uh, the mammaries are arterial grafts, and they tend to last longer than the venous grafts that are used for bypass surgery. So... Um, using uh, two arterial grafts requires a great deal of skill on the part of the surgeon, and it sounds like, in your case, Dennis, uh, you found the right person to perform the operation.
1: Yeah, he, he he did me well that day, and he did me well later as well. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, so I, it, it, things went well after bypass surgery. I continued my practice, um, maybe cut back a little bit on the really arduous night call stuff. Um, and but it didn't stop did surfing. That. No, that, that's to this day. uh Um, Good for you. I love it. So, yeah, I've been really, really fortunate in that regard. Um, So things uh, went along reasonably well. Um, uh, And uh, in 2016 now, uh, I had another dramatic episode. um, And this time it was cerebrovascular symptoms. Uh, Mm. I was home one evening, uh, sat down on my computer, suddenly developed a left-sided headache, looked at my computer Mm. screen, nothing looked quite right. Try to describe to my wife what was going on uh, and uh, missed a couple words. And I'd known at the time of my bypass surgery, they would studied my carotids and I had 40 or 50% carotid lesions in both the uh, right and left internal carotids. Uh, I had them checked periodically and the left had progressed to about 60 or 70% a year before this night. And uh, hmm. the first thing, as soon as I had trouble speaking with my wife, I knew that my left carotid was in trouble. And right. um, went to the ER, uh, was a stroke code. Uh, and um, I had a really large lesion in my left carotid that had already embolized a couple of places. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. TPA uh, in the ER hmm. that night. Uh, re which
0: is a clot buster. That's a clot buster that can be used for an acute right. stroke.
1: Um, and after the longest night of my life was transferred over to the hospital where my good friend who'd done my bypass surgery uh, did a carotid endarterectomy on the next uh, on me the next day.
0: Wow, wow. And that, that's an operation to clean up the carotid artery and establish full blood flow. So tremendous. Right. Wow. Qu- quite a story. Quite a story.
1: Um, yeah, and, you know, obviously uh, one that, again – at that point, we didn't have a lot of options about what we're going to do about LP little a. And, and this is certainly the culprit in my situation. I really didn't.
0: What, were other risk factors managed? Your blood pressure was pretty I never good had during the any all uses this, with or... blood
1: pressure, always at ideal weight, um, no diabetes, uh, never a smoker. It was, uh, it was pretty much LP little a, and then perhaps not perfectly ideal LDL, as I said with my 2002 readings.
0: And and you mentioned something about inflammatory parameters. Uh, what was your CRP? Do you, do you recall that? Or was there any evidence of ongoing so inflammation? So I had
1: that checked, as I said, first time in 2002. And again, we had no idea what it meant. I, I don't remember how elevated it was. I really don't recall rechecking it because I, I didn't know what I would do about it anyway. Um,
0: sure. Yeah, there's some controversy about that. But just curious if there was any other trackable parameter to, yeah. to show that the inflammation was was really an important factor right. for you.
1: Um, so anyway, in, in, after the the, the CVA, um, I think you probably know Sam Samikas, who is uh, at UCSD. I do. And um, yeah, uh, I
0: very well known, extremely well known LPA researcher. Right. You know, brilliant guy. Um, very nice fortunate
1: guy. to cross yeah. paths with yeah. him. So, uh, so I saw mm-hmm. him in 2017, the year after the CVA. Uh, to see what, if anything, um, he, you know, was on the horizon that, that might kind of get in the way of this momentum that I had that was pretty, pretty worrisome.
0: Yeah, in the next chapter, we'll talk about the therapies for LPA, including the therapy that you chose.
1: Thank you for listening to MedEvidence, the truth behind the data. Please hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on our weekly releases.